Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thus ends our reading of God's life-giving word. May all who hear it find themselves upon the unshakable mountain of God. Over the years, we as a society have progressed. We have advanced, uh, particularly in the structures that we build. Am I right? I mean, they're bigger now. They've grown in size. They've gotten wider. They've gotten taller. And because of these larger structures, we, we have also had to advance in our engineering and construction design in order for these buildings to re- remain safe. And yet in some locations of our world, these new designs, they're, they're, they're not enough, but particularly if that location is prone to having earthquakes, am I right? I mean, think of California. Think of uh, Japan. Sometimes having a a firm foundation just won't do, especially if that foundation is going to be moving about, right? It's going to shake. And so some of these newer buildings, they've been designed so that when the earth trembles, when that earthquake hits, even though the ground is shaking, the building is not. What are some of these newer innovations? They're, 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 They're things like flexible foundations, Foundations that have the ability to move when the building remains stable. And then there are these uh, side-dampening pistons that they're now placing within walls. Uh, these help to reinforce these walls so that when, when they are moving from side to side, they, they, they dampen the, the impact. 
And some of our taller structures, they now have these built-in pendulums. And these pendulums, that, that they help to maintain the building's balance and center of gravity. And lastly, these buildings, are, they're using new, newer and more flexible materials as well. And so these materials, they help the building adjust when the ground isn't so stable. I mean, all in all, the, the, the idea is that when the ground shakes, the, the, the building doesn't. We are now nearing the end of this book of Hebrews. And, and for the past few weeks, we've been looking at what it means to live by faith. And, and one of the first things that we discovered was, was that living by faith, it, it takes endurance, right? And, and so... We have been charged to, to run this race, to run this marathon, but to do so as we look to Christ. And so we are to keep our eyes upon him as if he is our lead runner. For, for really, truly, he is the only one who, who knows the path that we're, we're treading. And so he is the only one who can show us how to finish well. But along the way, there's going to be these trials, these obstacles that come in our path. And, and so we must also learn to change our thinking. We must learn to view these things as God's way of training us. Just as a father disciplines his son for his son's own good, so God is disciplining us as his children so that we might become holy, so that we might obtain that peaceful fruit of righteousness. And then last week, we, we were challenged to see to it that, that those who are within our church do not fail to obtain to the grace of God. In other words, as God's children, we are, we are to hold one another accountable to the message of the gospel, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to make sure that those who attend our church are truly saved that they are truly in the faith. And this leads us to today, where our author now speaks of two mountains, as well as a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he's using this imagery to make a point. The point, is, the point that he wants us to understand is, is that there is a judgment that is coming. There is a shaking that is coming. And that before that judgment arrives, we must make a choice. Will we listen to the voice of our God? Will we enter into his unshakable kingdom? Or will we turn a deaf ear and be swallowed up, swallowed up by the shaking that is coming? Now, before we jump in, I thought it would be helpful if I gave you a brief outline so that you can better see how our author is making this point. And so in our, in our first two portions of this text, we, we, we find this comparison between two mountains. In verses 18 through 21, we have Mount Sinai, which speaks of the terror that the, that the people felt when God had given to, him, given to them his law. And then in verses 22 through 24, we have another mountain, Mount Zion, which speaks to the joy that is both felt and experienced by those who are now under this new covenant. 
And that is what these two mountains represent, two competing covenants. And then in verses 25 through 27, our author gives a a final warning to this church that he's writing to, to remain true to Christ, to not commit apostasy. And he does so by contrasting these two mountains, these these two kingdoms, if you will, and their ability to withstand the shaking that, that God is about to bring. And then finally, in verses 28 and 29, we see what should be the response of God's people when they come to Mount Zion, when they enter into that unshakable kingdom. So let's, let's dive into our text and see how these things play themselves out. Let's look at that first mountain. Look at verses 18 through 21. This is what it says. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now the first thing that you should notice is that our author is saying that this mountain is a place that we have not come to. In other words, he, he is telling us that those who have entered into a saving faith through Jesus Christ, they, they have not come to this mountain, but to a different one. For, the, for this is a mountain of the old covenant. This is Mount Sinai. And those who are in Jesus, they have come to a different mountain altogether, to Mount Zion and the mountain of the new covenant. And so the mountain that we see described here is where we're not. It's where we're not if we are in Christ Jesus. Now, how do we know that this is, that our author is describing Mount Sinai? Because the description that he gives comes to us almost directly from the book of Exodus from when God descended upon that earthly mountain and gave his people his his old covenant law. Let let me read to you some of the descriptions of this this event. Look Look at Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. It says this, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Let those words sink in. I mean, can you imagine what this would have been like for these people? How overwhelming this must have been? 
And yet this was just the beginning of, of God revealing himself to this nation. For when this happened, when, when God spoke with his thunderous voice, he had given to his people his law. He had given to them his ten commandments. Those were the words that this booming voice had to say. And when it was all said and done, when he had given them these ten commandments, look at the response of the people. Look at, look at Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. What we see here is a terrifying, terrifying picture. It is a picture of a frightening God made manifest to a sinful, sinful people. And this is a scene that our, that, that our author in Hebrews wants us to picture in our minds. He, he wants us to remember that dreadful, dreadful day when God descended and his law was given. So what is it that we see? What is it that, that we notice when we look at this old covenant mountain? When we look at Mount Sinai? Look, look once again back at our, at our chapter in Hebrews. Look at verses 18 and 19. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. The first thing we must understand that, that this is a mountain, what does he say, that can be touched. In other words, it is a physical mountain. Try to remember back when we talked about the different tabernacles about the, the, the physical tabernacle that was built by Moses and about the, the greater tabernacle, the, that heavenly tabernacle that is the original. If you recall, the, the, the physical representation, it was only a copy. But the, but the heavenly one is the real thing. It is the true dwelling place of God. Well, this same thing applies to these two mountains. This first mountain, Mount Sinai, is just a copy. For it is that second mountain, that heavenly mountain, which is Mount Zion, that is the real thing. And so it is Mount Sinai this, that is this mountain that can be touched. It is this physical represent, representation of a heavenly reality. The second thing we should notice about this text of ours is that this mountain was an attack on the senses. In fact, it overwhelms the senses. 
And first, it was covered in a blazing fire. For, for it was in this fire that God had manifested himself. And so this mountain was hot. It was unapproachable. But it was not just fire that was covering this mountain, but there was a darkness and a gloom as well. A, a thick cloud of, of smoke enveloped the mountain so that a person could not see within. This concealing smoke was put in place to, to hide the glory of God from a sinful, sinful people. Everything was dark. Everything was hidden. And then there was this tempest, right? A, a, a manic storm that, with great flashes of lightning and the echoing sound of thunder. And if that wasn't enough it, to cause the people to tremble, the, the, then there was this sharp blast of the trumpets. These trumpets that rang through the sound of the thunder, that rang through the roar of the raging fire. I can only imagine how everyone's hearts must have been stopped at this piercing sound that was demanding their attention. And yet these trumpets were just the prelude to what came next. For finally, the voice of the living God boomed from the top of that mountain, causing a great terror to fall upon all those who stood at the bottom. In fact, the people were so filled with fear that, that they had begged Moses to be their mediator. For they could not bear the voice of their God. Never again did they want to hear, nor did they want to experience such an immediate presence of the Lord Almighty. And look how it's described in verses 20 and 21. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches this mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I trembled with fear. This old covenant mountain was a place of terror, was a place of darkness. It was a place of fire. It was a place of dread. And the reason it was this way is because it demonstrated both the holiness of God Almighty and the unholiness of sinful, sinful man. Listen, there, the, there was a reason that the people could not approach this mountain. For to do so would have been the end of them. Their, their sins were too great. And, and if they had stepped too close, they would have been consumed by the burning wrath that is God's justice. In fact, the, the, this terror was so, so powerful that, that even Moses, their mediator, trembled with fear. I mean, here's what you need to understand. Everything about this mountain is shouting to us, stay away. Stop. Don't come any closer. For the covenant that God brings is a covenant of works. 
And that which is unholy, that which is tainted with sin, will be consumed. These people who stood at the foot of this mountain, they would have been utterly, utterly ruined if they, if they had taken one step further. And the reason is because their God is a consuming fire. And yet, thankfully, this isn't the only mountain that our author speaks of. For those who have been covered by the blood of Jesus, they have come to a different mountain. They have come to Mount Zion, a mountain that represents a different covenant altogether. Look at, look at verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. On this second mountain, on, on Mount Zion, our author paints for us a, a different picture altogether. In fact, every aspect of this new vision is meant to speak welcome and encouragement. For those who come to the slopes of this mountain, what will they find? They will find a new home. I mean, just look at the details. For, for not only is this place a, a mountain, but it is also a, a, a city of the living God. It is the heavenly Jerusalem that, that God has prepared for his people. This isn't some wilderness wandering where, where people are living in tents and continuously roaming about. No, this is a planted home, a, a dwelling that they can call their own. It is a place of stability and peace. It is a country that God provides for his people. That, that terrifying imagery of fire and, and darkness and, and storm, it has now shifted. It has shifted to this city placed on a hill, a city whose brightness shines like the morning star. And if you notice, there, there are already those who have taken up residence as we see, see thousands upon thousands of angels in a festal gathering. So not only is this a safe place, but it is a place of mirth and abundance. For these words, festal gathering, they, they exude a sense of excitement, a sense of revelry, a sense of plenty and joy, as if the table of, of, of God is filled with both good food and abundant wine. 
those dreaded sounds of thunder and trumpet, as well as the booming voice from which the law came, they, that has now given way to, the, to this joyful chorus of angelic hosts who are now praising their gracious, gracious Father. And it's not just the angels, for we also see the assembly of the firstborn, those who are enrolled in heaven. No longer are the people of God trembling in their boots, for this new assembly stands with confidence, confidence knowing that their names are etched in the stones of heaven itself. And because they've been called the firstborn, this means that they are entitled to a share of the inheritance. I mean, talk about assurance. Talk about feeling secure. And they possess the security even in the midst of their God. For what does our author tell us? That God himself, the judge of all, is present. He This one who had once been unapproachable is now sitting at the table of this festal gathering. He is dining with his people. And his people are without fear. For God is now this welcoming ruler who is also their father. But not only is he this welcoming king, but we also see that he is ready to judge. And as this judge, he will vindicate his people. He will bring justice to his enemies, to those who have been persecuting his own. And so no longer will the people have angst. And yet the imagery doesn't stop there, does it? As we see the spirits of the righteous who are made perfect. These are those who have died in the faith and have climbed Mount Zion ahead of us. They already have a seat at the table of God. And just when you think that it can't get any better, we then see Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Unlike Moses, who who was himself a sinner, who who was trembling in fear before God's presence, this new mediator is without sin, and he trembles not. For he is our strong, strong leader, who instills within us great courage. And lastly, we see the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins. And this blood speaks to us. And the message that it gives is a better word. How so? How does the blood of Jesus speak to us a better word than the blood of Abel? It's because the blood of Abel tells us that we are guilty. For, for, for just like Cain, we have killed Abel with our bare hands. It is a condemning blood showing us our guilt. And yet the blood of Jesus tells us something different. It says that we are innocent. For even though we killed Christ as well, 
Jesus tells us that, that, that he chose such a death for our sake. And that's why he went to the cross. To die for us. And what did he say when he was on his way to give his life? What did he say to his father up in heaven? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, in, in both cases we are guilty of bloodshed, but instead of the condemning words of Abel, we are now offered the forgiving voice of Jesus Christ. Are you taking this all in? This is Mount Zion. This is the city of the living God. And unlike that first mountain, unlike Mount Sinai, everything about this mountain is telling us to come. It is telling us to enter in. That you belong here. And that is because on this mountain, on Mount Zion, a different covenant has been established. A covenant of grace. A covenant where, where holiness is granted. It's granted through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why we no longer need to be terrified when we hear God's voice. Because we have a blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And this, my friends, is of vital, vital importance. For what our author tells us next is that a shaking is coming. And that unless you have your feet set upon, upon a foundation that will not shake, then you, my friend, are in for a mighty, mighty fall. Look, look at verses 25 through 27. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Dear friends, I, I, I hope you understand that from both mountains, God speaks. From Sinai, he gives, he gives this condemning word of his law. From Zion, he speaks his welcoming grace through the, blood, through the better blood of Jesus Christ. And now the challenge for us is that we do not refuse him who is speaking. In other words, let us not reject the salvation that Jesus Christ is bringing to us. This is pretty much the same warning that our author gave at the beginning of our book. Look again at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, 
and every transgression or disobedient received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Brothers, sisters, Mount Zion speaks. And it tells us that, that Christ has done everything for us. He died for us. He rose from the dead for us. From the peak of this mountain, a herald is crying out. And he's crying out, Come. Come, all you who are beaten down and tired. Come, all you who are filled with guilt and shame. Come, all you who desire to turn away from your sins. Come and look to Jesus, this one who died for you and can offer to you his righteousness. Come and place all of your trust in, in him alone. Come and you will be welcomed. And that's just it. That is the warning that our author gives. Do not refuse him who is speaking, because a shaking is coming. And yet once more I will, not, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. These words come to us from the prophet Haggai, when he foretold of the future glory of a rebuilt temple. Look at, look at Haggai 2, verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that, so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. When Haggai spoke these words, he envisioned that, that God would, would shake not only the earth, but the heavens as well, bringing all the wealth of the surrounding nations into Jerusalem. And that it would be upon this wealth, that this, this gold and this silver, that his holy temple, his holy house would be rebuilt. These nations that had their foundations built upon idolatry, built upon the worship of, uh, of false gods, they would not only tremble, but they would be torn down. And yet the nation of Israel, whose foundation was built upon Yahweh, would not only stand firm, but would be blessed abundantly as a result of this shaking. And now... Our author in Hebrews uses the same imagery to speak of two kingdoms. A kingdom that has its foundation on Mount Sinai and a kingdom that has its foundation 
firmly rooted upon Mount Zion. And, and the shaking that is to come, what did he say? It's for the removal of things that can be shaken. In other words, a, a judgment is coming, and only that which cannot be shaken will be saved. It's like those buildings that I talked about earlier. What kind of construction will you have? If you run to the kingdom of Sinai, if you run to that first mountain, if you're going to be reliant on your own ability to obey that old covenant law, then the only way that you cannot be shaken is if you are without sin. Is if the law cannot condemn you. And yet if you run to the kingdom of Zion, if you climb that second mountain, if you put all your trust and all your hope in Jesus Christ, and in his blood, which speaks a better word, then you have come to a kingdom that will not shake. And the reason that this kingdom will not shake is because you are in Jesus. You have been given his righteousness and not your own. You will no longer be judged according to your sins, for God will look upon you as he does his own son. His own son. You see, this is what Jesus does. He, he takes the sins that are, in, that are in your life and he places them upon himself. And then he takes his own righteousness, his own sinless life, and he gives it to you. It doesn't get any better than that. And that's what it means to come to Mount Zion. And that is why if you are in Christ, if you have turned from your sins and if you have trusted in him, in him alone, then you cannot be shaken. For you belong to a kingdom that will not shake. How are we to respond to being placed in such a mighty, mighty kingdom? Look at our last two verses. Look at verses 28 and 29. Therefore. I love that word. Therefore. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Being part of this unshakable kingdom should cause our hearts to be thankful. Thankful because we have been brought into this kingdom. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that God has done. Because he has chosen to pour out his grace upon us. Because he has chosen to smile at us. And this, my friends, should lead us to worship. It should lead us to bend our knees and to commit our lives to this one who has given to us so much. And we should have reverent hearts and, 
and our minds should be filled with awe. Not only because of the mighty things that our God has done, but because of who he is. For he is a consuming fire who burns up all that is unholy and he leaves us pure. He, he refines us and makes us into a people, a, a people fit for his unshakable kingdom. And it doesn't get any better than that. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious, glorious picture that you have painted for us. The fact that we can enter into your presence with joy and thanksgiving speaks to your mighty, mighty mercy and to your amazing grace. We know that this is only possible because of what your son has done for us. Because he died for us and and brings to us forgiveness. And that is why we worship you. And so we ask now that you would plant our feet upon Mount Zion. Make us citizens within your unshakable kingdom. So that we may join in that festal chorus and, and sing your praises with the angels. May your Holy Spirit reside within us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.